what's going on, my people? How y'all doing out there? Man, it feels so good to be back with you guys today. This is TJ with another episode of the Soapbox. And I want to thank all my Soapboxes out there with the love and support that you continue to show to the episodes each and every week. I want to give a clear shout out to all the people that have continued to support the movement with the new MHOC and everything that you guys are doing. So with no further ado, let's jump into the episode. All right. So last week we were talking about, or rather I gave you guys an introduction to the MHOC and we also started talking about racial bias. Now my intentions were to kind of end the whole racial bias episode or series on two episodes, but because of how we got into it a little deeper last week, and then we're going to dig even deeper this week, this may end up being a three episode series. So don't hold that against me. I try not to make the episodes too long so that people can actually enjoy them and get them kind of out the way. And if you want to revisit them, there's not a lot of information for you to have to kind of skim through to hit high points. So we're definitely going to pick up on racial bias. And it's a really big issue because it's so much more dangerous than the in-your-face sort of external prejudice that people have shown throughout history. So now, in talking about racial bias, there's another term that we need to clarify for everybody to understand. That term is called reinforced identity or reinforced personality. Now, that's a really big deal because what happens first, before we begin to even talk about being prejudiced or biased to any group of people or any individual, we first have to identify self because in order for us to ostracize or push out another group of people, we have to first establish what it is that we will accept. And that becomes the groundwork for all of the actions that begin to identify other people as being negative or wrong or in some type of form or fashion that we choose not to be a part of. So I do a lot of reading. And one of the greatest authors that I read a lot of their stuff is Robert Greene. I've read a lot of Robert Greene's books, and I'm a big fan of his. Robert Greene is a phenomenal author, and he also is a great assessor of people's behavior and personalities and how people think, what makes them do the things that they do. So in one of Robert Greene's books, it's called The Art of Seduction. Robert Greene makes the statement, that all people, to a certain degree, are narcissistic. Now, what this means is that people normally care more about themselves than they do others and naturally put themselves at the top of the list of priorities as opposed to 
other people. Now, this is not normally a bad thing and not necessarily negative all the time. And for the record, I'm sure many of you can point out individuals who are actually the opposite of this here or there. However, this narcissism, this elevation of self opens up a window for many outside forces to begin to manipulate or shape the way you think and view other things. Whether you're a left-leaning Democrat or a right-leaning Republican, whether you're a very religious individual or have spiritual practices, every portion of yourself is driven by what we call narrative. You see, people of all walks of life create narratives. Everyone has them. And many times, these people push these narratives to individuals who are their followers. Now, a narrative may sound very sincere. As a matter of fact, the individual who's pushing the narrative may have very well had the best of intention. The problem that we run into, though, is many times these narratives are developed or driven by people who the individual listens to. See, many people follow like-minded individuals. Think about it. The average individual that's probably listening to this podcast listens to radio shows from like-minded individuals. They probably read books and newspapers from like-minded individuals. They probably watch TV shows. And this is mostly people all in the world. TV shows, movies, news from like-minded individuals. This information then becomes that individual's narrative. See, the problem with this is that when narratives are created in that way, it creates a very narrow, shallow narrative that is basically tilted only to one side. With a narrative created like this, it is impossible to have an accurate worldview. And that is what every individual should be striving for, is an accurate worldview, not one that is tainted by personal opinion or by partisan agenda. And you see, this is where we begin to see racial bias. Because once people create a narrative for an individual group of people, which is basically developed off of like-minded individuals, and then you begin to push this narrative to people, at that point, people begin to follow the narrative and they begin to see people the way that it has been propagated to them. I have a six-year-old daughter. And imagine if as soon as she came out the womb, all I told her was that the sky was green. I surrounded her with people who told her the same thing. And I continued to peddle this to her until eventually she got old enough to talk. She got old enough to rationalize and utilize logic the way that younger children do. Eventually, she's going to begin to tell people that the sky is green. I created a narrative inside of her and I continue to push it 
all the way up until she got to a point where she could engage with other people. The problem is, is that my narrative was built off of a falsehood. And that's what we have to be very careful about propagating throughout our community. If you want to build a narrative, you need to build it off of truth, off of what really exists, off of facts that can be proven and found, and they can be supported by additional facts. Your personal opinion about a situation is not factual unless you have grounded your opinion on fact. But see, there are so many people in the world today that want to isolate information, and they want to funnel things through a very tight lens and only show you the portions that they want you to see. There are many people out there right now, I'm sure some of you, if not all of you that are listening to my podcast, are pretty much in the same boat that I am. You find yourself to be what is considered a critical thinker. Now, there is a movement going through the world right now that wants to stop people like me and you from actually looking at situations critically. However, if you eliminate critical thinking from your assessment of narrative, then at that point, the individuals who present these narratives to you have free reign to pretty much tell you anything and get you to believe any type of information they choose to. I know that so many of you are tired of hearing about the election and tired of hearing all of the, the noise and pompous sound that has been going on continuously since the days that led up to the election. But the election is a perfect example of people abusing the art of creating the narrative. And both sides do it. They do it every year. This year happened to be simply more inflamed due to certain elements of the election and the election process. But ultimately, politicians are masters at presenting the narrative. Think about it. As we led up to this election, both parties wanted you to believe that voting for the other side meant the end of this country. They wanted you to believe that the individual on the other side of the fence was the worst choice for president that could have ever been in this country. Let me remind you, this is the same narrative that was said four years ago. This is the same narrative that was said four years before that and four years before that and so on and so on. The problem is, is that this narrative many times is being fueled by negativity and hate speech and not actual factual information. We see it play out in all kinds of worlds, all kinds of walks of life. When it comes down to laws and rules, schools, all types of choices. But one of the worst areas that we see the narrative play out in is our personal bias towards individuals and groups, the systemic bias that has grown. And the narrative continues. You see, narrative creates presumption. And what it does is it tries to give us a preliminary idea about the individual that we're going to be dealing with, what they're all about, how they act, the way they think. 
When we allow narrative to build presumption, then that presumption leads to stereotype. And those stereotypes continue to be tagged to individuals well beyond the point of meeting just one person. Because many times, especially throughout history, we see that these stereotypes have been labels that have been placed on entire races of people. So narrative leads to presumption. Presumption leads to stereotype. And then stereotyping leads to bias. And then we get to a point where that bias begins to influence the continued narrative. So the cycle just continues over and over again. And we see where our personal, our racial, our civil, our social biases create a narrative. That narrative creates presumptions. Those presumptions create stereotypes. Those stereotypes create new biases. And then those biases continue to build and to fester into problems that turn into major issues for entire communities. Listen, I want you to take a personal inventory right now. I want you to take a real self-assessment. And I don't care what race you are at the present moment. I want you to look inside of yourself right now. And I want you to think back to the last 10 gatherings that you've had with family and friends. And I want you to tell me how many people were there that were of a different race. Think about that. Now I want you to think about the last few events that you went to that were social gatherings and how many people of the opposite race were there. Now I want you to think about the last cookout you had, the last dinner you had at your house, the last event that you had, even if you want to go back as far as pre-COVID, how many people of the opposite race were actually in attendance at your place? If you're an individual who said that every single thing I just said to you, just about 90 to 100% of the time was interracial, I applaud you. You are actually on the right track to defeating racial bias. But if you're an individual who went through all of the stuff that I said, and 80, 90% of that was simply people who look like you and think like you and act like you, then whether you want to agree with it or not, whether you want to accept it or not, whether you want to realize it or not, you are a part of the problem. And not only are you a part of the problem, but you are actually living proof that we have racial bias. I'm sure that there are some of you that are thinking, well, I've got the people around me who like to be around me and I like to be around them. Well, sometimes you don't even know who you like until you actually engage other people. I remember there was a time in history where we had laws that were separate but equal. And what these laws allowed states to do was actually separate people based off of race, but they were supposed to allow people to have the same item, the same quality of service, just no mixture. That in itself created continuous bias. This is 2020. We've had a lot of firsts in the African-American community in 2020. That is a very sad statement to make, that in a year when we were ravaged with disease, in a year where we've had racial injustice, social unrest, civil issues everywhere, we were able to have 
first in the African-American community. And I know that this week's subject is, of course, racial bias, but we also have other biases that are playing livelihoods as well, whether it's whether people are biased towards women, people are biased towards children of a certain age, people are biased towards elderly people. I mean, there's all kinds of biases that are out there. But racial bias tends to affect everyone in multiple different ways and layers. In a previous video, I talked about Dr. King. And right now, we all celebrate Dr. King as a hero. We've got streets named after him, parks named after him. We've got a holiday that is in his name. We've got all these different things. But, you know, the narrative for Dr. King wasn't the narrative that we have today, back during his time. You see, during his time, the narrative about Dr. King was that he was a communist and that he was causing all of the civil unrest in the streets. Now, understand, there were others that were fighting for civil justice, racial equality at that time. There were others that were taking a much stronger approach, much more forceful, willing to do just about anything. Dr. King was a peacemaker. Dr. King was an individual who wanted equality for everyone. As a matter of fact, one of the individuals that I listen to on Spotify right now, one of the podcasts that I listen to, one of the guys was saying that Dr. King was actually even balanced when it came down to saving the races. He wasn't just trying to save African Americans from racial injustice. He was actually trying to save, and he would mention this in his talks and speeches. He was actually trying to save white Americans from their prejudice and racist ideology. Yet, even though he was peaceful, he was kind, he was still labeled a communist. And that was the narrative. Because at the time, we had a much more overt form of racial bias in this country and prejudice was rampant. But this type of narrative is being pushed today. This same type of attack is being pushed as we continue to try to enlighten the world on the injustices that have continued to spiral throughout history. We cannot be puppeteered by the narrative. We need to educate ourselves on the facts of a situation. We need to give ourselves an open look at what the world is really like. When we look at history, history has not been kind to African-Americans and many other with their efforts in bias. One of the worst actions ever taken in this country on the level of racial bias was the introduction of the Federal Housing Administration in 1934 and the beginning of the practice of redlining. This practice allowed city government agencies to begin to section off parts of the areas of their cities and towns and residences where African-Americans, or the poor, rather, would not be able to live there, buy homes there. And there were so many different strategic elements to this practice that still affect us today greatly. When people say, what can we do to fix this type of bias? We have to 
eliminate practices like that, but not just get rid of them. But we also have to backtrack and undo the harm that they've done. You see, I don't necessarily want my daughter dating some thug in the street because that sentiment I've heard a lot. I don't want my child dating some thug. Well, the truth is, I don't think any of us do. However, we need to stop labeling and start unraveling all of the mess that has created that image. That's how we defeat the narrative. That's how we defeat the bias. We have to backtrack and we have to work backwards. And I know that sounds rough and it sounds hard and it sounds like it's going to take a lot of time and a lot of resources. Well, guess what? It is. It definitely is. But we have to do it if we want to be in a different place than where we are right now. We have to get to a point where people of different cultures can work together. Ladies and gentlemen, this is America. This is the United States. If there is no other beacon of hope when it comes down to working within division, it should be us. I work at a prison. At my prison, there are people of all walks of life. We all have different opinions. Some of us have different agendas. Some of us have been brought up in all different kinds of ways. I guarantee you, if you were to poll the prison that I work at, there are some people that voted for Donald Trump. There are some people that voted for Joe Biden. There are some people that voted for Mickey Mouse. If you go into a spiritual assessment of my prison, there are some people that are Christian. There are some people that are Muslim. There are some people that are Buddhist, Taoist. There are some people who don't believe in God at all. There are people that work out. There are people that don't. There are people that have children. There are people that aren't. There are people that have wives. There are people that have husbands. There are people that have girlfriends, boyfriends, and there are people that just simply want to be left alone. Every single walk of life you can find inside of those walls. And while we all differ in what we think and how we act, we all have learned how to coexist. That is by far the most important thing that ever happens inside of that type of environment is the ability to be able to look across the aisle and know that the individual that you're looking at doesn't think like you, doesn't act like you, doesn't look like you, but yet you both have the same goal and you're willing to work with each other to the best of your ability to achieve that goal. You don't care enough about anything if you are not willing to work with someone who doesn't think like you. You don't. You don't care enough. And that's where we have to get to. You have to be willing and able to work with people that are not you, not like-minded individuals. That broadens your ability to bypass the narrative. Because the truth of the matter is, if I wasn't embedded with these individuals, then anybody could spin any narrative to me whatsoever. It wouldn't matter what they said. I wasn't there with these people. I'm not working with them hand in hand. So I don't have anything to fight against them when they come at me with the biased narrative. But because of the fact that I am there with these individuals hand in hand, 
dealing with problems and issues, then I'm able to combat the stereotypes that are placed on individuals in that building. I'm able to fight the presumptions that people have before they have even dealt with anyone there. That is so key to our fight against bias. Because in all actuality, our fight is not really just the bias. We have to defeat the narrative. We have to critically think about what it is that people are peddling to us. Why are you telling me this? So next week, we're going to break down the process of how to defeat the narrative. And I'm going to go step by step on what we need to assess to think critically when it comes down to being presented with a biased opinion. But that's all I got for you guys this week. I really thank you guys so much for all your love and support. Again, I want to remind you guys, go to the GoFundMe page. Check out the Minority Home Ownership Coalition. We're on the move. We're getting everything set up. Beginning of the year, we're going to really, really be rocking and trying to get some people inside of some homes. All right, you guys hold it down. I love you so much, my soapboxes. Peace.